0: All right, good morning Trinity Church, how you doing? You are here, you're alive. Worship team did a great job helping us focus our attention rightly where it needs to be on Jesus. Can we thank them today? Just a great job kind of helping us with that. Well, I just want to let you know how grateful I am to get to be here with you today. My name is Todd Arnett, I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity. Like you've heard a couple times today, we do, we begin a brand new series today. I loved it when we posted it online this week. The very first comment was, is that sarcastic? Because that's kind of usually how you hear, that's real mature. But I'm excited to unpack this series with you. We'll have four weeks together kind of on the whole focus of what is maturing in Jesus look like, and that's what you're kind of joining us for today, especially if you're a guest. We want to welcome you today. Thank you for making this a part of your weekend. Well, here's what we're going to do. In your Trinity this week, you have notes that look like these. If you want to get those out, that'll help you connect with us a little better throughout the the morning today. Also, if you're in a home group, those are obviously your prompts, your questions for your discussion when you meet later this week, so have those out ready to go when you guys get together. While you're doing that, if you take your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark is the second book in the New Testament, the second of the Gospels. Uh, Mark chapter 4, have your kind of Bible ready to go there. We'll be there in just a second. Now, one thing as you're doing that that I wanted to kind of draw your attention to, you notice there's a lot of stuff in our Trinity this week, and that's because we're, we're doing something with some intentionality. We're trying something a little bit different. We, um, if you've been here at Trinity for a while, you know that August is a big month for us. We kind of have branded it where you fit at Trinity, trying to help everyone kind of find a, a place to serve or a group to be in. We've made much of that the last few years and we'll plan on doing it again. But what we've realized, we realized last year is that as people were joining us and connecting at Trinity back in like January, February, they had to wait all the way till August to get involved. And we just think that's too long. So what we're doing is we're doing what we call mid-year on-ramps. Now, February is not really the middle of the year anywhere, um, but we think of a, a ministry year a little bit like a school calendar. That's why August makes a lot of sense to kind of ramp those things up. And so we're, we're a little beyond mid, but we really wanted to capture and give an opportunity for people who are relatively new to Trinity who would say, I I would love to get into a group, but they seem like they're already full or they're already in motion, or I, I didn't know there were places I could serve. I'd love to do that. So if you look at the insert in your notes, you'll notice on the front there, or on one of the sides is ways to connect. We're highlighting four specific types of small group opportunities as they might fit with your life, fit with your needs, fit with kind of where you're at. And then if you flip that over, you'll see some next steps related to getting involved in serving. And a huge, you know, just, Uh, category of different things to look at that might really resonate. You read some of those and go, Cafe Barista, I'm all over that. I need Starbucks training now. I'll I'll go and serve there. So whatever that might be, take a look at those and uh, just kind of identify. The reality keeps coming back to this is we, we don't just put out there the idea of the need for small groups or the need to serve because we think it's a good idea. We think it's a biblical idea. Biblical in the sense of God says if you're someone who's put your faith in Jesus, you have gifts, you have things that you can bring to the table for the goal of helping the body. Or if you're also someone who is following Jesus, but you, you're never really called to do that as a lone ranger, called to do that by yourself, it's always a part of a community. And we even have looked at the idea of, the idea of maybe a good way to frame what a, a small group should be doing are the one another's. And we've looked at that last couple of summers as we've talked about where you fit at Trinity. And, And you just know this, you can't do the one another's, at least in any kind of thorough way, consistent way, just by showing up on Sunday mornings. It really happens in different environments, and that's why we really feel really confident about calling you into those things and making those available because we think they're so important so anyways if you want to get involved you even see that card that was there you can even I'll even I'll be okay if you even start filling it out while I'm talking I will not take it personally and if you can and if you have any questions or, or just want to even drop that off right out on the plaza right at the end of service don't even put it in the offering bag just take it out there and you can ask any questions that you want if there's one obvious station next steps and go ahead and drop that off or ask some questions to feel better about it but we really want to encourage you uh, to dive in and get, uh, get more plugged in, get connected, not only with Trinity, but with people. And we think that that's a way that we grow best. Well, you saw this, this series. Um, one really important thing to me as we begin today is that probably outside of the word mature that is in, um, in the title of the series, you're never going to hear me use the word mature, but always the word maturing, because the reality is the definition of the word mature is that it's come to a place of completion. It's, it's fully mature. It's come to that spot. And the reality is, is this side of heaven, none of us can say that. None of us are fully where we ought to be. And so we're always in a journey. That's why I even love what we call here things like next steps. We all have a next step. And once we've stepped into that, there's another one. And the reality is, is that that's what we're talking about in this series, is what maturing looks like. And, and to me, what I really love about this, this idea of trying to ask the question, what does a maturing follower of Jesus look like? I think the answer in terms of the content of the answer is relatively simple, very simple much an ongoing challenge in our lives but it's simple and that is to be, become more like to live more like to express more like the life of Jesus Jesus is our standard we're going to talk about the word discipleship a little bit today and throughout this series and that's what our goal is after how do we follow him more closely And here's the simple reality, I think that there are ways that you should be able to look at your life and see if you are following him more closely than you were last year, more closely than you were five years ago, more closely than you were a decade ago. A big part of this series, I want to say from the very beginning, this is not a series that's about you looking out the window. Meaning this isn't a series as we're talking through, kind of looking at your spouse going, bam, you need to pay attention. Okay, You have a lot of growing to do. This is a series that's all about you looking in the mirror and you being able to see, God, who I know, I know better than anyone else how I am truly following after Jesus or how I am not. And so that's our hope for this series is that you're able to get a more crisp picture and even some tools to be able to see, you know what, I want to see evidence of life. I want to see evidence of fruit, of productivity. And we really believe that over the course of the next four weeks, we're going to at least begin to give you some handles towards that. Let's take a look. Every week we have a now what statement. Here's what that is for this week. Maturing as you follow Jesus is based on a partnership between God and you. I want to start from the very beginning. Today is called Followership 101. This is just how it begins. It's a partnership between God and you. Number one in your notes, healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. That sounds so elementary, but I feel like for a lot of areas of our lives, we actually have come to conclusions that that's not the case. Let's see how Jesus put it. Mark chapter 4 verse 8 is where you're at in your Bible. It says still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And just like you notice today in our video of this oak seed that is planted, everything has a place from where it begins. In this parable that we just picked up on, some of you are very well aware of what we call the parable of the sower and the seed. And what we just read is actually what Jesus did on numerous occasions. He's talking to people and he's telling them this story, very accessible Here's the interesting thing. We don't live in much of an agricultural world. Some of you may live on what you might call a farm. Some of you actually grew up on farms, but here in this part of Southern California, we just think of things like fruit, the things we buy at Trader Joe's, right? I mean, that's, that's the extent of it. It's full blown, that's kind of where we interact with it. This culture in the first century though that Jesus is talking to, completely agrarian, they understood, and I think we do, I don't think these are too far away from us to understand, But as he's sharing this story about a guy going out one day and throwing seed and it hitting different kinds of soil, the people were scratching their heads like, cute story. What are we talking about? So the disciples pull away with Jesus and he explains what these mean. And what you just caught was the end of Mark 4 when Jesus is saying this is the goal of why seed is thrown is to develop, to grow, and ultimately to produce a crop. So that's where that kind of comes from if you're unfamiliar with it. And the reality is this, is that for some of you, this is actually my story, I can't remember a time not being around talk of Jesus, not going to church, not being in a family where we prayed often. I just can't remember that. And here's the thing I want you to hear today that's true for all of us, but especially if that's been your experience. Nobody has been a Christian all their life. You've been around Jesus Maybe all your life. I'll totally grant you that. But nobody's been a Christian all their lives because you and I were born into this world and due to a sinful nature and sinful behaviors, we have a problem. And at some point... If you would say today that you're a follower of Jesus, it's because you responded to this invitation to be right with God, not because you tried harder, not because you were religious, not because you were moral, but because of what Jesus did on your behalf. That's when that changed. And what's kind of cool about the narrative that we're just looking at is that's kind of what this is. There was a difference between hearing the word of God and receiving it. Take a look at this. This is something that really caught me by surprise when I was studying. This is that those different passages. You see, the parable of the sower and the seed shows up in all three what we call the synoptic gospels, meaning Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Are, are, there's a whole lot of overlay from one to the next of those three, three gospels or accounts of Jesus' life. Here's what I want you to see. I want you to see the descriptor. If you notice, each of them, Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8, they all have the word hear or hears. So at some point in our journey towards Jesus, there needs to be a time in which we do hear and and have a sense of of not just um, of hearing, but, but true content and information. But watch the next step. In Matthew 13, it refers to, it says, this one hears the word and understands it. That word the, in the original Greek language for understands it is the word, we get the word synthesize. And, and so the idea is that they, this person heard the word of God and, and took this truth of the gospel and began to synthesize it, began to pull pieces together, and it made sense, Interestingly enough, in Mark 4, that's a different word. And, and some would even be concerned like, did the gospel writers write this wrong? And my discontention is I think Jesus told this story at least three times. And so, on another occasion, when Jesus is talking, he said that this person, these people hear the word and accept it. Very different from the other Greek word. This word means to receive openly, gladly, and just throw your arms around it. I'm in. And finally, in Luke 8, these people hear the word and retain it. It's the idea of holding fast, gripping vigorously. Here's the beauty that I really want you to look at today. As you think about your experience, as you think about the way that when that decision came for you to do more than hear but to either understand, accept, or retain. It's interesting that many of us find ourselves more in one of those camps than the other two. Meaning for some of you, it really wasn't an exploration. It was a journey of synthesizing. You had heard the gospel numerous times. You had heard it from multiple people. You went on websites. You had to get a lot of information, but at the end of the day, you were synthesizing information to the point where you said, I'm in. More than just hearing, there was a decision made. For others of us, you actually needed very little information. The way God was at work in your life, or even maybe just a little bit about the way you are, when you hear something that is true and something revolutionary, you throw your arms around it and you say, I'm in. And you gladly accept it. For others of us, our experience was a little bit more like the last one. When I think about that word retain or grip vigorously, I get the image in my mind of just someone who is sinking, someone who's drowning out in the ocean, waves everywhere, and someone extends a hand. And it's in that layer of plight, it's in that season of brokenness, you just grab out and you reach and you hold on tight because you know you need help. Interesting to our stories are, these are different ways you might express how you did more than hear the gospel, but when you finally responded to it. And the reality is this, is that for all of us who would say we're followers of Jesus, that had to happen. Look in your notes. This is where it begins for everyone who would become a follower of Jesus. There is not just a hearing of God's great news, but a reception to it that was the beginning of what we call discipleship. The beginning of what we call discipleship. This is where discipleship begins as a response to the gospel. I love this in a very matter-of-fact way, probably the most plain way I could communicate how discipleship begins. Look at this on the screens from Matthew 9.9. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Isn't that great? That's it. Matthew's sitting at a booth, he's doing his thing, he was uh, uh, basically working for the other government, for the, the Rome rulers of the world, and he's working against his own people. Jesus comes walking by and says, hey, follow me. Now, I know there was a backstory, but watch his action. Leave the table, here's Jesus. That's what discipleship, if you could just boil it all down, is, is someone who is following Jesus, and that, that expression to me is just beautiful because it's so simple, someone who follows after another. Now, being a disciple, that word disciple sometimes can be, for, all, for a lot of us, very religious in nature, very spiritual, like you think of it in those terms. But it's interesting, if you were to ask people in your relational world who aren't following Jesus at this point, they actually would know the word disciple. They've heard it before. It might not be related to anything related to Jesus. They would think of it this way. So-and-so is a disciple of Mike Krzyzewski in terms of how they coach basketball. Or this person is a disciple of Jim Collins related to leadership. Or this person is a disciple of Beyonce and being Beyonce, right? I mean, that's just, how else are you going to do that? You're welcome. Thinking, always thinking, um, so within that, they would get that. And the interesting thing is they would be partly on their way. Because when someone would say they're a disciple of someone else in our culture, they would be saying that, that I actually see this strength in this person. I see this character trait, and I want to emulate that. I don't want to just hear them talk. I'm actually going to do things that kind of look like that, that imitate their lives. Look at it this way. I was trying to think, what would people in the first century, when they understood the word disciple, what did it mean to them? And it's along the same line. Look at the screen. Though the term disciple is used in different ways in the literature of the period, being the first century, there are examples of discipleship referring to people committed to following a great leader. Emulating his life and passing on his teachings. Now watch this next sentence. In these cases, discipleship meant much more than just the transfer of information. It wasn't just that someone's knowing facts. Watch this. Again, it referred to imitating the teacher's life, inculcating his values, and reproducing his teachings. That would be what a first century person would understand the word disciple to mean. Now, when you walk this out and you begin to think this, here's where it lines up with Jesus. How is Jesus, how is being a disciple of Jesus different than being a disciple of Mike Shashevsky? Well, with Mike Shashevsky, I can narrow his degree of influence, my kind of followership after one trait of his life. With Jesus, I don't get that choice. And here's the great news you don't want that choice. Because with Jesus, he is the son of God. There is no human being that you should be modeling your life after every part of their life. It is Jesus alone, the incarnational representation of God to us, Emmanuel, that what we know of him in the gospels, this is what we're to do. We we aren't to say, I wanna be a disciple of Jesus related to how he treated the poor. But it's the other stuff that I just kinda, nah. Or I wanna be a disciple of Jesus related to how he showed the love of God. But it's those teachings that I, uh, that's not our option. Jesus isn't someone we splinter up and say, that's the part of him I want to follow. He is God and he demands, rightly so, follow me. Not a part of me, not a side of me, follow me. And the great news is that we have the Gospels to know and even the rest of the New Testament to keep explaining out what does a life following Jesus look like. Now you think of this cross-section, we we used it in our video today, you think of this cross-section of a tree and we've used this, this is a cool example and, and you realize when you look at this, the idea you can tell some things about how this tree has grown. We know about its growth rings, and we know that we can actually anticipate or or by looking at it, we can understand how many years old this tree is by the distance or the count of its rings. And the interesting thing is, and I love this image, it's going to be a very organic series for us, and I love this image related to this idea of a cross-section of a tree, but here's the problem. When we look at a tree, we realize that each year represents growth. When we think of our lives as following Jesus, just because we're getting older doesn't mean we're drawing closer. So there has to be a different set of, of, um, of indicators. There has to be something different than just, I am a one year older, therefore I am following Jesus in a more closely manner. There's some other markers that we need to look at. And the reality, the hope would be in our aging of maturity that we would keep maturing in our followership of Jesus. But all of us know that's not necessarily the case. And by the way, that's not you looking at someone older in the room. That's you looking in the mirror. Here I am a year later from this point of 2018. How am I following Jesus closer than I did then? I'm going to realize there's a lot that's lagging in my life. So just age is not the issue. It's truly a sense of followership. In the first century, we've talked a little bit about discipleship in the first century. In the first century, among Jewish followers of rabbis, there was actually a prayer of blessing. They would pray this to kind of over another who was a a follower of a, or a disciple of a rabbi. And they would say this, may the dust of your rabbi cover you. And you think about that, and you're like, that's just weird. Like, first off, why is a rabbi dusty? And then secondly, why do you want to be dirty? That's really weird. But think of it this way. As rabbis would walk and talk, as they would walk and lead their disciples through so much of, of growth and information and teaching, they would be walking on dusty pathways. That was their mode of transportation, was their own feet. And the idea is, is that as they were walking, if you were close by, if you were right behind them, you would get dusty from just the way that dust would travel up as they picked up their sandal one after the next. So the prayer is basically, would you walk so close to your rabbi that his dust is getting all over you? That's a cool word picture. I can do something with that in my life. I can use that to think that through. I love it. I came across a blog this week called The Dusty Disciple based just on that idea. And I thought, that's a great concept. I can do something like that and process that in my head. So here's how this followership begins. It begins with the evidence of life. Every plant every tree has to start with a seed that takes root a plant that begins to emerge but watch this and we've said this before if a sower goes to sow seed he's encouraged or she's encouraged when they see plants erupting through the soil but they're never satisfied meaning the goal was not to see a plant the goal is what produce a crop That is always the heartbeat behind someone who sows seed, a farmer, is not just to see a plant, but to see something productive, 30, 60, 100-fold. And that's what we want to look at throughout this series. What do those productive lives begin to look like? So if that's what is supposed to happen, let's discover how it's supposed to happen. Number two in your notes, healthy things grow due to reliance and engagement. Healthy things grow due to reliance and engagement. We established, number one, a healthy thing grows. It just does. That's the way God's built things in our organic world. He's built that in our spiritual lives, how we're supposed to grow. Now we see we do that due to reliance and engagement. Here's another organic passage from the Gospels, John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, you know, there's a bigger context there. Jesus is using this powerful illustration that, that again, even though we don't live in the first century of an agrarian culture, we get it. We've seen a vine. We've seen branches that are shooting out of it. We know very clearly, apart from me, you can do nothing. The minute that branch is somehow plucked away from, falls away from the vine, we know it is dead. We know nothing is going to be productive at this point, but as a branch is connected to the vine, we know that not only nutrients, vitality, but fruit are things that flow from that branch. Now, what I want you to see in the original Greek language, there's actually, it reads a little bit different than the NIV translation that you just saw on the screen. It says this, the one abiding in me and I in him. Very similar in meaning, like there's nothing like, oh, that's revolutionary. But here's what I want you to see. The one abiding, it's, it's about a noun, and then that next word is a present active participle. So here's literally what that means. The one who is actively remaining. You see, you and I usually think of remaining as a relatively passive thing. Right? It's like if you were to say, Todd, remain on that rug. so hard. You're like, no, well, seems like a pretty easy assignment. And if I get tired, this rug is big enough. If I get tired from standing at some point, I'll sit. Actually, this rug is kind of long enough that I could diagonally lay on it, and I could really be here for a, quite a long time. So, so we kind of think that way. We kind of go, well, to remain, to abide. If you've read this passage before that seemed awkward to you, because how hard is it to Remain. just keep doing it. If I told you, remain in your chair. This is brutal. How am I going to do it? But here's the interesting thing. In our lives, if we were to say, hey, we're, we're called to, the way discipleship, the way growth happens is as we remain or abide, actively abide in Christ. Now, all of a sudden, this takes on a little bit of a expanded concept because we go, you know what, this, this rug, I, I can stay here for a lot of things and maybe a long time, but, but if I want to go get that shiny thing over there, that distraction, I, I've got to leave the rug to go get that and watch this. The first time I leave the rug, I'm looking back and wondering, it's you know, struck down by lightning or, you know, did I just blow up? You know, what's getting, and I'm, I'm fine. I do this distracting thing, it's not even bad, it's not sinful, and I go back to the vine, I go back to this place of actively abiding, and I realize I could step out and I could do something. I want to go out to the edge of this thing, I mean, I could see over it from here just fine, but if I really want to walk over and go, whoa, that's awesome. Well, I've got to leave the, the rug, this place. I'm not actively abiding anymore. I'm not on my own. And I didn't blow up again. And I'm coming to some clu- conclusions. I'm coming to the reality. I can do plenty of things apart from the vine. And maybe the biggest factor in that whole thing that we have not understood is that I can't do anything that matters anything that lasts, anything that is Jesus-infused or strengthened. And the problem is in our lives, we live so much apart from the vine, this becomes our new norm. Not living out of this dependence, because at the end of the day, the concept of a branch abiding, abiding in the vine is all about, will I submit myself and rely upon the Spirit? Upon Jesus' spirit in my life, will I look to Jesus and his resources or am I fine? Thank you very much. This is what this is talking about. It actually does take a degree of effort, a degree of engagement, a degree of choice to actively abide versus simply just to wander and think everything's okay. And because everything's been okay numerous times in our lives, we actually begin to think, I'm not really sure that's that important anyway. Jesus said it's essential. Look in your notes. How much of, this is the question, the common struggle we seem to ask. How much of my maturing, my growth and following Jesus closer is on me and how much of it is what Jesus is providing for me? How does, that, how does that balance work out? How much of following Jesus closer is on me, and how much is it based on what Jesus is going to provide for me? The minute you began to hear what this series is about, some of you at some level subconsciously or very consciously said, oh great, a series about trying harder. Awesome. That's just what I needed. I'm still dealing with all the fear and anxiety stuff from last series. I don't know how I'm going to go through this. Just try harder to follow Jesus closer. Perfect. Thanks, Todd. Immediately your mind went there. Because in your experiences until this point, that has been your understanding of discipleship. Discipleship means try harder. There's Jesus, he's way out in the distance because I know I'm not following him that closely. The, the, The challenge is pick up the pace and go get him. And you're gonna hear in a weekly way in this series, that is not what we're portraying. We don't believe the Bible teaches that. So I wanna teach you about this tension. I wanna teach you about this idea of how we need to live in the tension of both and. Look in your notes. Question, does God expect me to be actively involved in my maturing and my maturing following of Jesus? Does God expect me to be actively involved? Answer, yes. And for many of us, that's where we've stopped. Yep, try harder. But look at the next question, the next issue. Will God provide me the resources that I need in order to follow Jesus more closely? Yes. Both and. And the problem is, is that many of our discipleship strategies and techniques that we have not only engaged, but even led, have leaned more so to one of these other sides of the tension or forgot the other side altogether. And that's why this series seems more distressing than encouraging to you. Let me show you how it plays out. For some, whether it be churches or or different ministries, discipleship is a lot like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Things aren't going well. Here's more information so you can know that you're wrong and then you'll get it right and follow Jesus closer. And I just want to tell you, those are the churches I grew up in. At the end of the day, that's the message I kept walking away with. Jesus is there. My job, my my role in discipleship is to follow him closely. I'm just too darn slow. He is way out there. I can barely see him on the horizon. My life doesn't look anything like that. So guess what? You need more information. You got to just do more self-discipline. You'll get there. That was period. That was it. And while we wouldn't say those things don't matter, if that's the only thing we are telling ourselves or hearing from others or telling others, we continue to set up people to fail. And here's how I know. Think about a season in your life when you realized there was a significant disconnect between you and Jesus and that was your method. Simple question, how'd that go for you? And if I asked a poll today and ask around the room, you'd see hand after hand go up. It didn't work so well. That's one extreme of the tension. The other extreme of the tension is over here. It's kind of the let go and let God. It's people who will gather together and they'll have a rote set of beliefs and they'll walk out super pumped. woohoo! I'm gonna go live in the spirit. I have no idea what that means, but I say it. I'm gonna go do it this week. And I get out the door and I get in a Monday morning and God hasn't zapped me. God hasn't done something to me that like he promised he would do. And all of a sudden, I'm no more different than I was last week, but I'm going to go to church and rinse and repeat and do it all again. And guess what? If I were to ask that question, how many of you engaged in that sequence, I'd have plenty of other hands going up. Yep, and it didn't work. Jesus didn't zap me into following him closer. And the problem is, is that we've been burned on both sides of this equation so much that that's why for some of us going into the series, you literally have fear and trepidation. If you didn't have fears and anxieties before in our last series, you have them now. I really want to help you with that. I really believe that the fair and the obvious reading of Scripture is that both are engaged. It is a both-and issue that I absolutely need the resources of Jesus to become more like Jesus, and I need to actively engage the process. It is both. To actively abide also could be translated to continue to be present. I love that. A lot of us get that concept of just cognition, awareness, to continue to be present. In that Jesus, as he provides what is needed for me to produce more fruit, for me to evidence. If you understand in the Greek language, the word that for fruit literally means the thing that hangs off the branch, but it's also used for a word simply that means evidence. There's something depicted on the outside that I can tell is happening on the inside. There's an evidentiary nature. and That's why the word fruit is such a beautiful word to use for that. You can tell good things are going on in the plant or the tree because the fruit that's produced, it simply means is there an evidence of this kind of growth, of this kind of followership in our lives. In your notes, to continue to be present is a lot like the meaning of the phrase we looked at when we studied the book of Ephesians and we saw the word be being filled. If you were with us, it's the very first study we did together when I arrived at Trinity and we talked about be being filled in Ephesians 3 and Ephesians 5. This is also, if you just think about that word, it's also a bit of a quandary because there's an activity to it, the be-being, but then filled is something that's happening to you. So how can you actively be filled? I can actively fill a lot of things, but how do you actively be filled? And we came to this conclusion as we walked through the book of Ephesians together that think of it this way, think of my life as this space. This space is voluminous voluminous space that can be filled with something, and what I've done is I've chosen to add things into the space that when God is wanting to lead me by having his very spirit within me to give leadership and control to me, there's not a lot of room for him to work because I've already filled that space with my stuff. I filled that space with my desires, my interests. They don't look like Jesus. And so as a result, there's very little room for him to fill anything with. So the activity part of being filled is to take out the things, to create the spaces. We said in Ephesians 4, disengage from these behaviors, engage in these. Disengage, allow these things to come out of my life, they're not strongholds anymore, they're not the things I covet that are so different than Jesus, and as that's happening, I'm creating a space, and the great news is, is that Jesus is there, the spirit of God living within me is there to be filling, taking control of those spaces. I'm in partnership with God, be being filled. It is an active pursuit, but at the same time, it's so dependent upon the working of God in my life. I love the way that Bill shared that today. I remember the pastor I had in high school kept saying, the way that you know that you're growing in Jesus is that he's changing your want-tos. That was a powerful statement. I, was want- I started desiring things that were different, and guess what? It didn't happen because I just prayed a prayer and said, Jesus changed my desires, But as I was actively engaging a pursuit to follow Jesus closer, I wasn't just doing things. I wanted to do things that looked more like him. That's this transformational kind of living we're talking about. Think of this uh, sock cut again. The interesting thing about this, when you look at this and you kind of can see its trajectory of growth, I want you to note for just a moment the things that were necessary for this tree to grow. Like we do a saw cut and we can see. Now, the, the sad thing is we can't really see in real time how a tree has grown because I had to kill it to be able to find us, right? So that's, that's kind of a bummer. But for us, the beautiful thing is as we're growing, God is able to shine the light on the reality of our followership. And, and the interesting thing is when you see it, this tree's maturing, Think of all the things that were provided for it that it did not bring into the equation. Soil, first, even as you watch the video, soil had to first be present that was good, that the seed could even embed. As a result of being in the soil, nutrition and water were provided for this tree from the soil and from rain. When you think about the idea of the energy to be able to create change and growth in a tree, that came from photosynthesis that happened because of the sunlight. And then ultimately, out of this tree, acorns were produced, and acorns were those things that are going to replicate this very tree in other places. Now, when you walk through that equation, you realize quickly that this tree actually didn't provide any of these things. Ultimately, fruit and acorn was produced through the tree, but the reality is that this tree didn't have all of those elemental things that it just added to its own life was completely dependent on those things being made available. What a beautiful illustration for this. But, but watch this. In the event of those things being available, the tree kept responding. The tree kept responding to the stimuli, responding to the resources and growth took place. This is our position. It's, it's our stance is to be that of responsive as God gives us the resources that we need, I want you to do this today. I want you to think of somebody that you look up to because of their followership of Jesus. They're not perfect because we said at the beginning of the day today nobody's mature this side of heaven, but they are maturing. And they're maturing at a rate that makes you stop and take notice and go, that is exemplary. I, I, I see that just an incredible trajectory on their life. And the interesting thing, by the way, I want you to notice that as you think, I want you to get that name, I want you to get that face in your mind. And I want you to think of this, interestingly, if I could pull up on everyone's kind of, just right over your head, pop, there goes the face of who you're thinking of. Some of the faces we would be thinking of are older than us, And in their time on the earth, they have surrendered more of their life to Jesus and there's been a maturing, but some of us would actually have people in our lives that are younger than us, whose faces would come to our mind and we'd realize it's not about how old I am, it's about how much I'm surrendering. You would look at areas of their lives and you would say, I see a hunger and thirst for the things of Jesus in them that don't really match my life yet. I see in them a dependence upon the Spirit of God that I just seem to free will out of my own strength more than they do. I see a love for the things that Jesus loves out of them more than I see in my own life. And simple question if if you've pulled up close enough to them and watched them, how would they answer this equation today? Do they live in the both and? Is there a degree of their active response, but also to the resources that God brings to them? Because it's doubtful to me that you're going to think of someone who's either in one of these two camps. They just try so hard. Or they just let go and let God, and he just keeps changing them. I don't know how it works. I wish I could have that pill. You you see this balance. You see the both-and tension that they live in, and you realize there's probably something to that. As we think about this series, our goal is going to continue to put resources in front of you. It's not exhaustive. We're only doing four weeks on this. But we want to at least start the conversation. We want to at least provide some vivid examples of tools that you can respond to, actively engage, but trusting that God is providing the stimuli, trusting he's providing the resources. In the next three weeks, you're gonna hear from three different voices. My friend Kurt Thielen from HDC is gonna be with us next week. He's gonna talk about surrendering to the Spirit. The week after that, Bill Bourne's gonna be preaching on the idea of engaging, maturing rhythms. How important that is that we have these holy habits in our lives that keep putting us in a place of dependence on God. And finally, Hilkey's gonna wrap up the series and talk about how maturity always includes mission. We dare not divorce Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost and think we're living like him. That's all. That's all of who he is. It's all of who we follow. So I want to encourage you, join us for these next three weeks. Dial in and let's discover some ways that we can indeed become more and more mature. Finally today, number three in your notes, identify your next step towards maturity. Identify your next step towards maturity Matthew 19 21 Jesus answered if you want to be perfect go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me some of you are like are you kidding I came to this week of church and that's what you're going to say go sell everything you have give to the poor and that's how you follow Jesus this is a much bigger series than I expected (laughs) well can I tell you this You know, if you know this passage, you know these words are given to the rich young ruler, who by the way said, I have done everything to follow at that point up to then who Yahweh has revealed me to to me to be. I have I'm here today, Jesus, you his son, putting my life in front of you. I've done all these things. Jesus is saying there's this blinking red light, and if you're not gonna address it, you're not able to follow me. That's how it starts. This obvious thing, your wealth has you underneath it. You are a slave to it. So as a result, following me begins when you disconnect yourself from those things so I can be prime. If you're here today and that's your struggle, you should pay attention to these words. But I want you to hear this. For the rest of us, that might not be the case, but there's another blinking red light. Look in your notes. There are obvious next steps that we need to begin with before we'll be able to follow Jesus more closely. There are obvious next steps. Remember I keep saying that this series is not about looking out the window. This is not you thinking of other people in your, your life who need to hear this message so bad because of these obvious areas they're not following Jesus. This is you looking in the mirror. Here's the wild thing I'm very confident of. Before I ever said anything about that there's an obvious thing that's in the way of your followership of Jesus, you came in here today and you already knew what it was. I'm absolutely convinced of that. You didn't need me, I don't need to start walking down a road and try to highlight what are the, I don't need to do any of that. You knew before you walked in the door today, there is this thing or these things that are so misaligned from my walk with Jesus, from following him, that they need attention. And I would just agree with you. They do. And the good news is, is that we want to bring those things to light. We want to help you take next steps. I love that even at Trinity Church, that's a phrase we use very often. On the one hand, your next steps in getting connected at Trinity, but in this case, your next steps in followership of Jesus. See, for some, maybe it's something that Jesus has clearly called you into, but you keep resisting him. That's the blinking red light. It's got to be addressed. For others, maybe it's habitual sin that has mastered you instead of the Spirit's control over your life. That's the blinking red light. Maybe it's a faith that is mostly theory and really doesn't integrate itself much into anything of your daily life. That's the blinking red light. The answer to someone's lack of maturity isn't necessarily always an increase in activity. Sometimes it's taking things away. But for some of us, if you're here today, just realize even the way that we've aligned these specific next steps of getting into a small group or serving, that actually could be the thing you need to activate. If you look back in that sheet in your notes, you'll notice the different types of specific small groups you can, there's a real open on ramp to join today, literally. One of them I wanted to highlight for some of us who would say, you know what? I'm just so scared, if I'm honest. I've been in groups before. It turned out really wacky. It got weird. It blew up. Whatever your answer is, I get it. Or I've never been in a group, and I'm just scared to try. I love that we're doing this. We're gonna give you an opportunity to test drive a small group experience. We're going to do it here on campus about seven weeks in a row. Just a chance to come, try this thing out. What would it be like to be in a, a smaller group of people to begin to look at God's word together, to begin to kind of begin at least in seven weeks to understand at least what the one and others look like? That's one thing you can respond to on your card. If you flip it over, you'll notice the serving opportunities for some of us. And by the way, we said it earlier, we believe these are biblical directives. This isn't even just us on an engagement plan saying it's important to connect to Trinity. We just think the Bible clearly says be in a place where you can do the one another's, be in a place where you can use your gifts. And we'd love for you to engage. Let me finish by saying this today. I want you to hear that Jesus is inviting you. Jesus is providing you the resources that you need for your next step in following him more closely. Hear hear that clearly today, that invitation. I also want you to know this. Your spouse is hoping that you'll identify what your next step is because I'll tell you this, they already know. They're hoping you'll identify it. They're hoping you'll begin to engage it. Watch this, your kids. Your kids are hoping that you'll identify your next step and begin engaging it. And guess what? They probably already know it too. And finally, the people in your relational world, the people you're doing life with, the people that so badly need to see a real version of Jesus, not religion, not the caricatures they see all over our culture. They need a real version of Jesus doing life with them. They so badly hope you'll engage your next step so that they can not only see, but experience and recognize real love from a God who loves them so much. Maturing as you follow Jesus is based on a partnership between God and you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today beginning a brand new idea, beginning a brand new series And we do it in humility because we realize, God, that this is heavy stuff we're talking about. This is significant. It touches our lives in so many different types of fronts. But God, would you give us hope? Would you give us encouragement that the reality is is that you beckon us, you're calling us, you're inviting us in to a next step of relationship, a next step of followership, a next step of maturing. And God, would we see that as just the best thing that's happened outside of the good news of what you've done for us. At the cross and the empty tomb, you're inviting us to follow you closer, to get dusty. I pray, God, that we would, even this week, begin with just an openness to the idea. Begin with a sense of saying, no matter what side of discipleship we've been burned on before, would we see it as truly the both-and tension it is? Yes, you're calling me to actively respond, but yes, you're going to provide the resources I need. God, do something in our hearts this week to prepare the way for the rest of this series to be so incredibly helpful. You may be here today and you would say, you know, Todd, I I really have never even begun with that first thing. Back to the, the seed falling on the different soils. The soil of my heart has maybe even been a little bit responsive, like I'm here today. But I've never really, I couldn't use those descriptor words of someone who has synthesized. Someone who has thrown my arms around and gladly received. Someone who is vigorously holding on to. I've never responded to the gospel, this need for a savior like that before. And I have great news for you. There's no class to attend. There's no hoops to go through. That begins today. Right here, right now. Just like we said, it begins with that initial response. And then discipleship, that relationship, that walk after Jesus begins right after that. And we, I would just encourage you today, you don't have to leave your seat to make that initial decision to say, A, I admit that I'm a sinner who needs a savior. B, I believe that Jesus really was the son of God, that Jesus really did put himself on a cross in my place, that Jesus really rose on the third day. There's an empty tomb today. Because you cannot kill God. You rose victoriously. You are the only Savior available. And see, I choose. I, I choose not to try to become religious. I true, choose to put my hope in what Jesus has done for me and walk out of that, live out of that in a reliance on Him. You can make that decision before you leave this place, in my prayers that you would. Father, we love you. Indeed, thank you and would you build our lives in such a way that we keep looking more like your son. We pray in his name, amen.